How are you guys this morning? Good. I'm Scott Weatherford. Welcome to First Baptist Wimberley, the, dual, the diamond in the heart of the hill country. How's that? Does that sound like a good slogan for Wimberley? Yeah, we just don't want to tell anybody about it, right? Yeah, because it seems like they've already discovered. Tara and I had the privilege of being in the parade. I can't remember the last time I was in a parade. It was unbelievable, and I think everybody and their dog came to watch the parade. We pulled up, and I said, everybody in Wimberley's in the parade until I saw the parade route. It was unbelievable. I think, um, I don't want to scare you, but I think uh, Texas is coming to the hill country. Uh, we, we drove around Dripping Springs yesterday. We drove, uh, of course, around San Marcos and down in uh, New Braunfels, and we just see people after people after people. It just looks like an anthill, which says to me there's a lot of opportunity for Jesus to build lives and honor him. The more folks, the more people can get saved, the more crowded heaven is. And if you don't like a crowd, you're probably not really going to enjoy heaven. So uh, you might want to get over that between now and then. But we're excited you're here. And I want to say a couple of things before I get into this talk this morning, because today we're going to talk about how to deal with a fool. Y'all know any fools? If you don't know any fools, it might be you, right? And sometimes I am the fool and I act a fool. Uh, Am I the only one who does that? Okay, good. I won't have to preach about lying next week. That'll be good. Before I get into it, I want to remind you about tonight. Tonight, we're having a family gathering. There's some things I believe, and I want you to know these things. I believe in informing the people and trusting the Lord. Now, I grew up in Florida, so I'm used to operating in the sunshine. So First Baptist has the sunshine policy. We're going to be open and honest and transparent. You can know anything you want to know about what's going on here except the individual contributions of the members. That ain't none of your business, nor is it any of my business, okay? So what you do between you and Jesus when you give is between you and Jesus. I'm not going to know. Do you know why? Because I don't want to treat you any different. Now, if you complain a lot and you don't give any, you have to talk to Jesus about that, okay? But it's all about us being a family together. And tonight, we're going to be talking about uh, this proposed bylaw change. This is something that was started before I showed up. But also, we're going to, I'm going to tell you about some other things that are coming and some other things that I feel on my heart. So tonight is going to be one of those family gatherings where we kind of have a, a talk together. Does that sound good? Now, here's another thing. We're going to have ice cream. Everything's better with ice cream. Can I get an amen about that? Yeah, so that's tonight at 5 o'clock. If you're a member, a regular attender, or if you just want to find out what's going on, then you you come here. Now, if you're one of those folks that like to watch a church fight, this ain't the church for that. So you can go someplace else, and Dan can give you a list of places you might go in the future, right? (laughs) Dan, you've been around long enough to you know where all the, the juicy bits are. So that's coming up. One other thing I want you to put on your mind, actually two other things. The 99 Days of Prayer begins next Sunday. And we'll have a curriculum available. It'll be available in print. If you like to hold it in your hot little hand, we'll have it that way. Also, we'll have it online that you can, you can get it online as well. It's a chance for you to read, to reflect, to journal. There is scripture memory involved. And some of you may get stickers if you remember your scripture, okay? So that's those, those things in 99 Days of Prayer. And we're launching, uh, getting ready for a great fall Looking forward to launching a first life where we really reset our disciple-making process and talk about what it means to be a church that builds lives that honor God. So you guys look forward to that. I've had my first week in the office. It's just been uh, exciting. I think the staff 
preferred me having one day a week in the office. Now there's, Dan's nodding in agreement to that. Uh, I spent, uh, we spent all day Friday in a staff intensive. And uh, I want to say this, you've got a great staff. They love the Lord. They love each other. They're a lot of fun to be around. Yeah, so I think yay God for that. Now, they have served you well uh, during this interim period. And this interim period usually is a time of decline and trepidation. But this interim period has been a time of renewal and refreshment. And I would say Wyatt, Dan, uh, Melinda, Scott, uh, others, Jonathan have helped uh, carry us through in that time. So I appreciate them and I'm looking forward to working with them. We found out that Dan is a golden retriever. If you want to know about that, you can ask him about that later, okay? So go ahead and get your uh, take the weekend with you notes. I'm just going to leave it right there, Dan. Let that go, okay? Take the weekend with you notes and uh, let's start talking about what does it mean to deal with a fool? How do you deal with a fool in this series called The Pursuit? Relationships make life rich, don't they? They make life rich. Uh, Thursday afternoon, Tara and I were up here wandering around in the hill country. We're trying to find our way and find out, figure out Wimberley. We have been down every pig trail in this place. And y'all, there's lots of them. Little, little places down this road, down that road. And just because it says it's a caliche road does not mean it's, you could drive on it, okay? We've discovered that. So we, we got a call from my daughter, and she said, Papa, what are you and Gigi? That's Tara's grandmother name, Gigi. What are y'all doing? And I said, well, we're up here at Wimberley. She says, well, Ivy wants to see Papa Gigi because we're one person. Papa Gigi are one person. And, um, and she actually, Ivy told me at supper that night that Papa's silly. Some of y'all are agreeing with that, Okay. But they said, you know, can you meet us for supper? And then automatically our response is, yes, yes. Now, when your kids invite you to supper, you know what they're doing. They're inviting you to pay for supper, right? <laughs> and so we engaged with them, had a great evening with them because relationships make life rich. But also people bring problems, don't they? And the richness that relationships bring also brings with it people. I heard an evangelist say this once, I'd win the world of Christ if it wasn't for all these people. <laughs> and it's that framing of what, what does it mean to deal with people in a loving way. Now, here's a quote. I want you to write this down. God sends difficult people into our lives to make us more loving. To make us more loving. Now, when you, you see that, you might go, what? That's true. That if we're going to become like Jesus, then we have to learn about the chafing of our character. Most of the things that aggravate me are because I didn't get my way. I didn't get my way. When people are driving and they drive erratically and I speak to them in love, <laughs> it's because I didn't get my way. And there was an old boy today on 306. He, couldn't decide which lane to drive in. I was trying to encourage him as Pastor Scott would bless his heart. And what I felt, I was endangered, but mostly I was just aggravated. And I think about this in my own life, in dealing with people. Now, this is a bold statement. It's true. Now, think about this. There's three, and this is very simple. So those of you who are sociologists don't go, oh, it's too simple. Yes, it is. It's simple. But there's three basic kinds of people. There's people who bring life to you. 
They pour life into you. They replenish you. And when you see them, you're excited. You're hopeful. You, you, you see them and you're, you're, uh, you're just going, there they are. It's, this is good things. And then there's people in your life that are just kind of neutral. They really don't do anything. You just kind of see them and you might be polite. They're polite back, but they're not bringing in anything into your life. And then you have the people that are diminishing, the people that drain life from you. Now, some of the times, the replenishing and the diminishing are the same people, especially if you're married to them, right? And they're the same people or if you've, you've, uh, you're the parent of them or they've married into your family or they moved in next door. They could be the same people. But how do you deal with these folks? How do you deal in love with people that are, well, that are difficult, uh, people that are replenishing? How do you rejoice in them? How do you celebrate them? And then how can you be a person, here's the kicker, that you're so self-aware you know what you are? You're so self-aware you know what you are. Most of us want to control everything in the universe, but the one thing we've been given permission to control, and that's ourselves. Okay, I want you to do something. I want you to hold up your left hand. That's this hand. (laughs) Hold up your left hand. I want you to take your right hand. I want you to take a little piece of skin and pull on your hand and repeat after me. I can control everything I'm holding on to. Okay? Now you can put your hand down. Some of you want to reach for your spouse, but you can't control them. Tara started to get up and come on stage, but no. You only have the permission to control yourself. But if you're unaware, if you're not aware of yourself, you don't know how you're coming across, then you struggle with relationships. And that, that, that goes with your physical demeanor, your, your body posturing, your words, your terminology, your commitments, and all of these things. Now, how do I deal with myself and how do I deal with the quote-unquote fools around us? Now, now here's the question. Does God love fools? Yes, he does. Yes, he does. God loves everybody. God is not a respecter of persons. God loves everybody. Now, but does everybody love God? The answer is no to that. Now, our job and our goal here is to build lives that honor him So the first step of honoring God is to be in love with God, to be rescued into fellowship with God through Jesus Christ, and to be rescued into the fellowship of the local church, that we are rescued from being alone by being in family. A Christian without a church family is a spiritual orphan. You need a family. And let's talk more about this. Okay, let me tell you a story about King David. Now, we're in this series called The Pursuit, and we're looking at King David and his mighty men and how they live face-to-face with God. And in 1 Samuel chapter 25, there's a great account, a historical account about King David and a guy named Nabal. Nabal. Not Nabal, but Nabal. Now, Nabal, his name in Hebrew means fool. His mama named him fool. She must have had a bad day that day of delivery. Or she might have named him after his daddy. You just don't ever know. Her pet name for his daddy. But here's how the story unfolds, the historical account unfolds. King David is on the run. He's not the king yet. He's still David the shepherd boy, David the warrior. 
David, the guy after, the man after God's own heart, he's on the run from King Saul. King Saul wants to kill him. Now, even guys on the run have to make a living. Do you get that? Even guys on the run have to make a living. So David was making a living by being a protecting shield over farmers and shepherds. In the Holy Land during that period of time, it was a dangerous place. Uh, people would free range their, their, their sheep and goats and whatever, and, uh, and marauding bands would come and they would steal their livestock. So they needed someone to serve as protectors. And David, can you imagine a better group of security uh, agents than David and his mighty men? I mean, David had Benaiah, the son of Jedidiah, who killed a lion one day. He chased him in a pit, and despite the snow and slippery conditions, he killed a lion. I want that guy protecting me, don't, don't you? And we'll talk about Benaiah uh, later because he's one of my favorite guys of David's mighty men in the Bible. David had these unbelievable warriors, and they were making a living by, uh, by protecting farmers and, uh, and shepherds and protecting livestock. You guys know that? He probably was just kind of missed on you. But that's what they were doing. Well, it came time for payday. They were going to shear the sheep uh, in Carmel, and that's a place. It's also a candy, but it's a place in, in, uh, in Israel. If you go with me, we'll go to, go to Carmel. We'll go to Mount Carmel. And they were, uh, that's where Nabal lived. He lived with his wife named Abigail. Now, Abigail was one of the four most beautiful women mentioned in the Bible. And the only reason not some of you have not been mentioned in the Bible because the Bible's already been written or there have been several of you mentioned as well. And that's a gratuitous statement, and I'll just stop there. <laughs> Abigail's one of the four most beautiful women mentioned in the Bible, along with uh, Sarah, a- Abraham's wife, Bathsheba, uh, David's <laughs> trouble, and, uh, and, and then there was Esther, of course, uh, who was the, the, the queen of Babylon. So uh, Abigail, this beautiful woman, a wise woman, married to this fool named Nabal. And David had been protecting Nabal's flock for a period of time. Nabal had gathered in Mount Carmel, there at Mount Carmel, and he was going to shear his sheep, and it was payday. And when they sheared the sheep, they would, uh, they would sacrifice some animals, and there would be a big barbecue, and they were going to eat, and they would sell the wool, and the ones, they would take their fair share of, of, the, of, the, of the money that was brought in from all this. And David had, he was payday. So David sent some of his guys down there to collect his paycheck. They got down there, and Nabal says, who's this David? Well, everybody knew David. Everybody knew who David was, and they knew David had been anointed king. The scripture is very clear that David's reputation had filled the whole land. The women were singing songs, Saul has killed his thousands, David's his tens of thousands. David was a popular, well-known figure. Even though he was on the run for Saul, he was not living in seclusion. David was on Twitter. He was trending. He sent his guys down to collect the pay, and David, David, Nabal said, who's this David? What's he been doing for me? You, you boys just go on. Well, they came back, and this made David madder than you can imagine. He became enraged. Now, part of the reason David became enraged because David was struggling with arrogance. He was struggling with entitlement. He was struggling with pride. Now, entitlement, pride, arrogance, elitism, the nastiest demons in hell. Because entitlement says, I want what I want when I want it. In fact, I deserve it. 
Entitlement says, I'm the new lead pastor of this church. I need to be a parking place right out front. Well, guess what? I ain't going to get no parking place right out front. I'm going to park on the grass by, well, I parked by you this morning, Dan, out there on the grass. And Lord, we need some rain, don't we, buddy? Yeah. So it's entitlement and arrogance. And, and the word got back to David. David got enraged. He said, we'll show Nabal who this David is. You boys saddle up. We're going down there. We're going to kill every one of them. I mean, he got mad enough where he's going to kill everybody. Now, do you think it's good for the future king's reputation knowing that he has wiped out a whole bunch of his own people? This was a... This was a publicity nightmare. This was a destructive thing. This was David has lost his mind. He was mad. And this is what mad does, what rage does. Rage clouds your judgment. And it's dangerous. And so David loads up the horses and the ponies and they're they're going down, the camels and whatever, they're going to go down and they're going to kill Nabal and everybody with Nabal. Abigail, Nabal's wife, hears what has happened. She hears that Nabal was dismissive of David's men. She goes, oh, stupid Nabal. He's such a fool. And so she then made arrangements to pay David. And she quickly gathered up an enormous amount of food, an enormous amount of surplus, supplies. She loaded camels and donkeys, and she left immediately to meet David as David was making his way to kill Nabal. She caught him. She apologized on behalf of her husband. She gave him all this payment. David's anger subsided. Abigail goes back home. She tells Nabal what almost happened. Nabal has a stroke, and Nabal dies a week later. David's reputation as king is preserved. And Nabal, the fool, got what he deserved. Now, before I move any further with this talk, I want to define a fool for you. Uh, Jesus said, don't call anybody a fool. Have have you heard that? Did any of y'all ever get a whooping when you were a little one because you called your brother or sister a fool? Am I the only one? Can I see those hands? Okay, there's a few. All right, that's good. Confession's good for the soul. What what Jesus was saying was a word called raka, which means empty-headed, or it means, listen to me, dehumanizing a person. Racism is the epitome of the sin of raka, of dehumanization. I never thought of that, that when I elevate my race over somebody else's race, I'm basically doing what Jesus said, and I'm in danger of hellfire. Oh, I I need to reframe this. Rakai literally means empty-headed or empty-souled. There is no soul. What this kind of fool, Nabal, is, is a fool that's really outlined in Scripture what it is and how they behave. So if you guys are ready for that, we'll jump into that, okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you're going to say to us this morning. And Father, I pray that as I pray every week that you'll customize this talk for these folks that are listening today, 
This will be about you and what you want to do and how you want to speak. And I thank you that you are good. There's none like you. And you want to build our lives that we might honor you. And I pray this all in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Now turn to your neighbor and say to them, leave me alone. I need to hear this talk. Will you do that? Don't be a fool, all right? So what are the marks of a fool? Well, we've got to look at, uh, at the Proverbs. The Proverbs, uh, you know, 31 Proverbs. The Proverbs a day will keep the devil away. Uh, 31 Proverbs in, in Scripture. And King Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, compiled most of the Proverbs. And this is what he said. This is in Proverbs 1. If you want to turn with me, Proverbs, you can do that. Also, it's on the screen in front of you. Proverbs 1, 20 through 25. Wisdom shouts in the streets. She cries out in the public square. She calls to the crowd along the main street to those gathered in front of the city gate. Now, I want y'all to look at this. What, what the writer of Proverbs is using classic Hebrew logic. He's lining things up to say this. If he was texted, he said, wisdom's everywhere, y'all. But he's not. He's Hebrew, so he had to stretch it out, okay? How long, you simpletons, will you insist on being simple-minded? How long will you mockers relish your mocking? How long will you fools hate knowledge? Come and listen to my counsel. I'll share my heart with you and make you wise. I called you so often, but you won't come. I reached out to you, but you paid no attention. You ignored my advice and rejected my correction I offered. Now, if you look at that, you'll see the definition of a fool. Here it is. First of all, they reject God. I think it's Psalm 42, 14.1 says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The next time you encounter somebody who says they're atheistic, whisper that into your heart. And not saying they're empty-headed, raka, or dehumanized, but they put themselves in a position of complete ignorance. I want to say this to you. I don't believe an atheist. That's kind of funny if you think about it, Right? Because the absence of God, well, it's just, it's, it takes more faith to believe in the absence of God than to believe in the presence of God. And it's a rejection of God. And then there's an arrogance. Arrogance says, I'm better than you. I don't need what you got. And uh, can you identify arrogance? Can you identify arrogance? I'm, I'm an expert on arrogance. Do you know why? Because I'm arrogant takes one to know one. I know some of you are going, oh, our new pastor is arrogant. You ain't figured that out a long time ago. You slow. That's all I can say. You slow. Dan, you're laughing way too loud over there, buddy. Okay. But then there's a mocking. Sarcasm is often the expression of arrogance. I hear people say, well, sarcasm's our love language. No, it's not. Now, is sarcasm or picking or teasing, which is a southern way of expressing love, truly, because when we're familiar, we tease people. Somebody told me today that I had on bowling shoes. Can you imagine? (laughs) I won't mention any names, but they're sitting like right in there. But but that's good-natured ribbing, I hope. I think it's just fashion jealousy. That's what I think. <laughs> but it's mocking. Now, think of there's good-natured, fun-loving, we're going to poke at the preacher, which is awesome. I love that. 
But then there's mocking. And mocking is dehumanizing and demeaning. And a fool is a mocker. And it's what Solomon writes here. There's an entitlement. I called you, but you won't come. Why? Because you think you're better than me. You're entitled. You know more. You know everything. Uh, Some of us should say the teenagers should run the world because they know everything, right? Yeah, and the fact the older I get, the more I realize I don't know. And here's another mark of a fool. They're unreachable. I'll call you, but you won't come. And they're unteachable. I try to instruct you, but you won't listen. When you become unreachable and unteachable, you're really on danger of being a fool. A fool. I was gathered a couple of weeks ago, White and I, and Melinda and Pat and Tara. We were at Saddleback Church, and we had gathered there to learn. Why? Because leaders are learners. We gathered there because we wanted to be teachable. Do you know you can learn from everybody? Did you know that? You can learn from you can learn from the critters. You can learn from the, the deer and the squirrels and the foxes and the rabbits. You, you can learn from them. And if you have a teachable spirit, God is going to honor that teachable spirit by giving you wisdom. Now, Solomon uses the personification of wisdom, and he invites you and invites you. He says, come and learn, come and learn. Because knowledge is meant to build your life, not to fill your head. Can I, can I say that again? Knowledge is meant to build your life and not just fill your head. I'm going to say this, and I want you to get it right, because some of you, it's going to disturb you. Biblical knowledge without application is trivia. Shall I say that again? Biblical knowledge without applying it to our lives is trivial. Would you agree with that? I don't want to just know God's word. I want to live God's word. Billy Graham was once asked, what parts of the Bible give me most trouble? He said, the parts I don't do. Self-awareness. Then lastly, fools are divisive. They divide. They create strife and struggle. They, they're not self-controlled enough to keep their mouths shut. They love to disturb and create unity. You ignored my advice and you rejected my correction I offered. You were divisive. Hmm. Let's talk about the life results of a fool. Solomon goes on and he says these things in 26 through 33. So I will laugh when you're in trouble. Ah. I will mock when disaster overtakes you, when calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster engulfs you like a cyclone, anguish and distress overwhelm you. When they cry for help, I will not answer. Though they anxiously search for me, they will not find me. For they hated knowledge and chose not to fear the Lord. They'd rejected my advice and paid no attention when I corrected them. Therefore, they must eat the bitter fruit of living their own way choking on their own schemes. For simpletons turn away from me to death. Fools are destroyed by their own complacency, but those who listen to me will live in peace, untroubled by the fear 
of harm. Man, that don't sound good at all, does it? I mean, you read with anger, I don't want to be no fool. Now, here's some thoughts. Now, we read this, and Solomon wrote that in light of the Old Testament. We're going to read this in light of the transformation that Jesus Christ brings in us, okay? So we're going to read this with the illumination of hope. Here's the hope. You do not have to live like this. You have a Savior who'll save you from your stupid self. Was that too harsh? I have a Savior who loves me so much he'll take me as I am, but loves me so much he will not leave me as I am. And he will transform my life. Disaster will overtake you. No answer from heaven without repentance. When we turn to the Lord, he inclines his ear to us. I look at that and I realize this. God will allow me to ruin my life. God will allow me to ruin my life. So many times that I make decisions or I do things and and things don't go as well and I, I get mad at God when it's my own fault. And repentance means I'm going to accept the fact that I am responsible. A fool will live an anxious life. They'll be suspicious and everyone around them will be a suspect. Do you know anybody like that? They're suspicious of everybody, and everybody is suspect. And they live in anxious calamity. Even when good things happen, they're waiting for the other shoe to fall. Mm. Eat the bitter fruit of living your own way. I saw that that passage, that phrase, and I thought, man, that's interesting. Eat the bitter fruit of living your own way. What in the world does that mean? Well, I will tell you what it means. Let's go back to the Garden of Eden. And what fruit did Adam and the woman eat that day in the garden? The bitter fruit of wanting what they wanted when they wanted. They wanted to, and actually Satan told them the oldest lie in the word, you will be a god. You will be a God. In the essence of being a fool, you say, there is no God, and I am God. I am God. You make a lousy God. Look at your neighbor right now and just say, you make a lousy God. (laughs) Do you know why you do? You don't know enough. You can't be everywhere at once. You ain't going to live long enough. You're a lousy God. Am I going to put my hope in you? Am I going to put my hope in me? Am I going to put my hope in the maker of heaven and earth? I have to make a decision. And here's the process of decision making. Now track with me on this one. First of all, I have to realize, realize that I'm a fool. Yep, that's me then I have to recognize the behaviors of a fool. 
mocking and suspicious, anxious, and calamity. And then I have to do a word that we don't talk about a lot anymore these days in church, but if you hang around here, you're going to hear a lot about it. We're going to have to repent. And you know what repentance means? It means to join the winning side. I'm going to have to repent. I'm going to have to recognize. I'm going to have to realize. I'm going to have to repent. And repentance is good for your soul. Did you know that? Now you hear preachers holler, you got to repent. And they'll tell you how. Repentance means I agree with God. I agree with God. I agree that he is the captain of my soul. I agree that he is the author of life. I agree that I'm going to fulfill his purposes in my lifetime. I agree I need a savior. Jesus, I'm yours. That is repentance. And then you must do the last thing, and that's reconcile. What? Repentance leads to reconciliation. Reconciliation relationally with God and relationally with us. There is no repentance without reconciliation. Oh, Oisek's got, what if I got people in my life that have hurt me over and over and over and over and over, and I really, I, I want to repent of that, I want to agree with God about that, but if I reconcile to them, they'll just hurt me again reconcile from a distance. I have reconciled with the rattlesnake. I don't know where he is. Well, I know that record, well, I know where that rattlesnake is. I don't go over there. I might go over there with retribution in mind. But I reconcile in my heart without bitterness or malice or slander or gossip. And I release to King Jesus. We'll talk more about that in another sermon. Well, how do you deal with a fool? Is this helpful? You guys are awful quiet today. <laughs> Either this is a terrible talk or I'm just all over you, one of the two. I'm all over myself, right, actually. How do you deal with a fool? Don't react. David wanted to react, but wisdom said no. No. Don't engage. David wanted a pound of flesh, but wisdom said, no, no. You see, David did what we should do, let God defend you. Those who dwell in the shadow of the Most High will live under the cover of his wing. God has this. We need to let God do what God does. A good friend of mine gave me this quote, and I'm going to give it to you today. Never wrestle with a pig. You'll both get dirty, but the pig likes it. <laughs> it's pretty good advice, isn't it? Yeah. How not to become a fool. How can you avoid being a fool? And I love the fact that Solomon doesn't leave us as a fool. This is what he says. My child, never forget the things I've taught you. Sort up my commands in your heart. If you do this, you will live many years, and your life will be satisfying. Never let loyalty and kindness leave you. Never let loyalty and kindness 
leave you. Never let loyalty and kindness leave you. Tie them around your neck as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. Then you will find favor with both God and people. You will earn a good reputation. Man, trust the Lord with all your heart and do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do and he'll show you which path to take. I quoted that passage over my children every night before they went to sleep. That I would say to them in Jesus' name, they would say, amen, amen. Then I would quote, uh, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. And I'd say in Jesus' name and they would say, amen. I said, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you and lift up his countenance and give you peace. And Jesus said, amen. Then I would say, honor your mother and father so God won't kill you in Jesus' name. No, I didn't say that to them. <laughs> those blessings I laid upon my children, and from time to time, still as they're grown now, they'll say, Daddy, will you bless us? Will you bless us? Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Then you will have a healing of your body and strength for your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the best part of everything you produce. Then will you fulfill your barns with grain and your vats with overflowing with good wine. <laughs> you see, what happens with our hearts, that, that I remember what I've been taught, and I obey God no matter what, and we'll live for him. I will cherish God and his teachings. I'm not just going to know it, I'm going to do it. James says, don't be just hearers of the word, but what? Doers of the word I have to trust the Lord. I have to be generous. And that's not just writing a check, even though it involves writing a check. I'm being generous with my time, generous with my love, generous with my affection, generous to people who even are not generous with me. I have to be generous. I have to be aware I've got to choose to live all for Jesus. So when I talk about Nabal and Abigail and David, who are you in that story? Are you Abel, Nabal? Are you Abigail, the personification of wisdom? Are you David, the one who's dealing with a fool? Who, who are you? Several years ago, I was a youth pastor about 25 years old or so, right out of seminary, Jacksonville, Florida. I had the privilege of working with one of the greatest leaders, pastors, who ever was a pastor. His name's Bill Kaufman. And Bill was grooming me. I didn't realize this, but he was grooming me to be a pastor, to be, I'd gone to seminary, but he knew that you needed more than seminary. He was grooming me. And, uh, and I was doing everything. I was music and youth and and janitor and counselor, and I was doing everything. It was one of those jobs. And um, we had this young man, he joined, uh, joined our church, and I had about a 100-voice choir, and it doesn't matter how big your choir is, some voices you just can't cover up, Dan, right? <laughs> and I, this young man joined our choir, and his, I would not tell you his real name, his name was Jim, we're going to call him Jim. And uh, Jim was, um, he was, um, Special needs. I think that's the word we use now. And he was sweet as he could be, but he was loud. And he sang off pitch. 
and he joined the choir. Oh. And so tried to place him in a strategic place. Finally, behind, in the baptistry, behind the closed door was the best place for him. But, you know, he was sweet, and, and then he somehow, some reason he just loved me, so he was like in my office all the time. He would call my house all the time. He was just a nuisance, just a nuisance. And he was always wanting something and always just, just a nuisance, and it was just wearing me thin until one day he showed up at our office and he'd been beat up. I mean, he was in bad shape. So I took him to the hospital and got him stitched up and, and came back and found out that his roommates had beat him up. And I, I said, Jim, you can't live th- like this. And he was actually, he moved from, to Jacksonville from South Florida. His family had set him up to a place that was specialized in helping these uh, folks, special needs folks, find their way in life. And, and he was not doing I said, you need to go home to your family. And um, that was pretty harsh. In fact, that was real harsh. I went and told our pastor, and the pastor says, take him down, uh, get him a bus ticket, let's call his sister, and let's get him back to his family so he can be safe. And I said, well, I ain't got time to do this. I got this, 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 this. You got me doing everything in church. He says, he looked at me, he says, I'm your pastor. You take him down to the bus station. Yes, sir. And what I didn't know was Bill was teaching me to be a servant. I got him in my little truck and why is it the bus station in big towns are always at a place where you have to shoot your way in and shoot your way out? <laughs> Just the way it is. We get down there, and, and my, my little friend, he talks to everybody. I mean, it's like they blow a trumpet, and he comes in, and he talks to everybody. He's so friendly. He's talking to everybody, and I'm, just, I'm, getting, I'm getting more agitated, more agitated because I'm anxious. I'm, I'm, I'm a fool. I buy his bus ticket, and I walk over to him, and I said, all right, now, here's your bus ticket. Two hours, that bus is going to pull up right there. You're just going to come, you're going to get on it, and you're going to go home. You had no business being up here. It's just dumb of you coming. You, you can't live on your own. You go back with your family. I can't believe you came up here anyway. And he starts to cry. And I said, why are you crying? He said, Scott. You are my very best friend. Nobody's ever loved me like you love me. And that little voice that sounds like my voice, but it's not my character, says, boy, you're a fool. I gave you a gift of a difficult person so you could learn to love them like I love you. And I sat with him for two hours. The bus came. I waved him goodbye. That night, my phone rang. He got home. My phone rang for several nights after that. And I don't know what happened to him. You know, time and moves and changes. But I know he was a gift to me. Because God sends difficult people into your life to make you more loving. Perhaps. That's why I'm your pastor. (laughs) To make you more loving. <laughs> Deal with the fool, the fool of you. Recognize, realize, repent, and then reconcile.